Merry Christmas, everyone. Stay tuned after the show for a special Christmas song compliment of Casey McBride. Casey provided us with a holiday tune last year, and he stepped up again for everyone. Credit goes to Tara Williamson, George Turner, and Casey McBride. The song is called The Christmas Blues, and it'll be heard after this show is completed. Welcome to Before the Lights podcast. I'm Tommy Canale, and today we have a former professional pitcher, entrepreneur, president, and founder of Dugout Mugs, a bat-themed mug and accessory company. They represent every MLB team, the Nolan Ryan Foundation, and others. They can be found in over 70 MLB and MILB stadium stores. Please welcome to the show, Randall Thompson. Randall, welcome to the show. Man, what a what an introduction that was. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, you are welcome. Join the all-new members area on my Before the Lights podcast website. The Salute Chin Chin Package includes access to the Extra 5, shout out on a future show, some bonus content, the Zoom calls. Also, we're going to have some rewards for you. Get the brand new limited edition poker chip. It looks absolutely fantastic. You're going to get 10% off all merch as well. Your name added to the show notes. To join for only $7.99 a month, go to beforethelightspod.com slash support. That's beforethelightspod.com slash support. We're going to start here and eventually get to where we're at today. But did you have a creative side as a kid? Yeah, always. I was born with it. Started T-ball at age five, played at Winter Park High School. First three years were on JV and also played with the Orlando Scorpions. Prior mm-hmm. to pitching, what other positions did you play on the diamond? I uh, grew up a shortstop and then was a second baseman early years in high school. Then moved over to third base and then kind of uh, played outfield and pitched as a senior in, my, in high school. And then I just pitched from then on out. Before pitching, was there one position that you thought you might hang your head on and go, ah, maybe I'll be a shortstop? Uh, yeah, I thought I was going to be a shortstop. And then I got like awkward, fat, and big big feet. <laughs> uh, it was like before my uh, my growth spurt. So uh, you don't you don't see very many shortstops in, in the show with uh, that are awkward, fat, and big feet. So uh, naturally, I moved over to second base. But I always thought I was going to hang my hat on shortstop when I was growing up. And uh you know, life just kind of has a different plan for you. For sure. How did you get started then as a full-time pitcher? Who saw something in you? Um, hmm. I, uh, I don't, I don't really know if there was like this, this magical moment. I kind of would just mess around and throw, throw off the mound. Um, and, uh, I guess if I had to like go back to a moment that it made sense, it was like fall ball and like going into, maybe my junior year going into my senior year, one, one of the two. And uh, one of the coaches was watching me just throw a bullpen mess around. And like my breaking ball was really good. And he was like, he's like, Hey, you, you do realize that like this, this breaking ball could play at the college level or, or something along those lines. And then that's how the whole pitching thing kind of started. So you had a growth spurt you mentioned, was that after your junior year in high school into your senior year? Yeah. Yeah, it was. Uh, so I was still really undersized as a junior. And then kind of like on the back half of my junior year in my summer going into my senior year, I, I hit a crazy, crazy growth, growth spurt where I kind of just, 
uh, a work ethic of sorts kind of uh, started actually working for me. I wasn't mature enough for like when I was lifting weights and doing all these things, I wasn't mature enough to really compete with anybody. And uh, yeah, so I, uh, I hit this growth spurt and it, it kind of leveled the playing field for, for me, for everybody else. When did you start then getting attention of college coaches I know that senior year is when you're really pitching, but was it during the season or did you have to even go to workouts after the season to get somebody to take a look at you? It was kind of up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. Like, um, I didn't actually commit to Florida tech and go into Florida tech until, uh, the summer leading up to my freshman year of college. Mm. Um, uh, I was going to go to Bavard Community College. They said, "Hey, you can you can come here and you can uh, we'll, we'll pay for your schooling. It might actually work out with your bright futures that you might get a uh, um, you, you might actually get paid to come to school." And I was like, "Okay, great. That's that's what I'm going to do." And then the last minute, the recruiting coordinator called me and said, "Hey, come come try out or come come do a sh- like a showcase style thing in front of the head coach before we finalize this." And then he told me, now nah, I get lost. Uh, so it was kind of like an up and down to eventually where I was just like, eh, I don't even want to play anymore. Like th- there's no real point here. Uh, I, the only offer I had was a walk-on spot at, at Florida tech. I didn't want to take it. And uh, I kind of decided last minute that, that I was going to do it after a serious conversation with my dad. So I was never really a prospect. No, no college coaches were ever really talking to me. Uh, I never really got any offers it's just kind of like I had one, you know, measly uh, opportunity at Florida Tech, and I took it. So you were a walk-on at Florida Tech at a D two school. Did you eventually then earn yourself a scholarship? I did. Yeah. Okay. After my freshman year, and ended up getting a scholarship uh, because, like, I matured uh, as a senior. I hit that crazy growth spurt. Didn't really know how my body was working, and then when I got into college, it's kind of like it all just kind of clicked and, and yeah, I ended up earning a scholarship after my freshman year. 2010, you're the third highest K's on the team with 48 and you're a really good student. You're on the AD's honor roll as a business major, which has obviously played out for you with what you're doing today. I look back on that. I can't believe that. I, <laughs> I, I really, uh, so like I graduated with like a, uh, maybe like a 2.6 GPA. There was one year that for some reason I got, like above a 3.0 GPA. I don't know what the deal was, but uh, I can't believe that I was on any sort of honor roll. It doesn't ever <laughs> feel like I did a very good job in school. <laughs> you signed on June 9, 2011 as a non-drafted free agent. You were only making $38 a week and living in a budget hotel room. What I'd yeah. like to, to go into more is so listeners <laughs> that may have a son or somebody who's in a baseball thinking about, well, I'm going to earn all this crazy money if I just get drafted. That's not the mm-hmm. case. Not always the case. I mean, it could be the case, uh, but you'd have to be like a a top 20 rounder to get some really life-changing, or not top 20, top 20 picks right. uh, to get some really life-changing money. But yeah, uh, and to add on to what, what you just outlined, 38 bucks in a, uh, in a Baymont hotel with another person. So like yeah. I was sleeping right next to my roommate the, the whole entire time. Um, yeah, it was, it's not a, it's not a glamorous lifestyle. It's nothing, there's nothing, there's nothing great about it. And the boredom of it gets you as well. You, you your schedule is very regimen and you're up early, go through the same motions every single day. Your day ends at the same time. You eat the same thing every single day. 
But then when your day's over at like two or three o'clock in the afternoon, you have all this free time with no money and you don't have anything to do. And that's, that's ultimately what got me was just the boredom of it. I was so incredibly bored. How do you survive on $38 a week? So what they do, so, so what the, the deal was, was they paid for the hotel and then they provided us three meals, um, uh, a day, except for two meals on Sunday. They give us breakfast on Sunday, but they want to give us lunch or dinner. And the 38 bucks was supposed to be a stipend that covered those two meals. And then the way that they structured it is that what we were supposed to be being paid, uh, they were paying for the food, they were paying for the hotel. And so we got no paycheck. Um, it's an absolute sham. It's unbelievable. Uh, and so the, uh, there's probably many different reasons why I got released. And I, I ended up like seeing the system and just, it kind of pissed me off more than anything. And so I thought to myself, I saw on, on the front desk that you can get points, uh, reward points for staying at the hotel. I've been living there for three months and supposedly my paycheck uh, is being used to pay for my room. So I went to the front desk and I said, Hey, I want to get my points. And they said, Oh no, no, it doesn't work that way. So I'm like, okay, then, then how does it work? You know, like <laughs> who's winning here? I'm right, not right. <laughs> Crazy. We're with the Toronto blue Jays organization released after extended spring training in 2012. Reynold, do you ever look back at possibly the last pitch that you ever threw and maybe reflect on that? Man, uh, I'll tell you, uh, yeah, I do. Every once in a while, I'll go back and I'll I'll look at things online and uh, and then look up like guys that I played with if they're still playing, take a look at their stats, or if if they're not, kind of look back and see what their career looked like, uh, which is translated nice into into business because I like numbers. I like analyzing numbers. I like looking at numbers and making and trying to make sense of numbers. But I think one of the coolest like. Uh, stories that kind of just like really overfeeds my faith on, on things is the very last game that I ever threw that was recorded um, was uh, four, four. So growing up my, my number um, like my lucky number, the number on my Jersey was number four. I threw four. I started a game against the Phillies. I threw four perfect innings with four ground outs, four fly outs and four strikeouts. And that was the last game I ever pitched in my life. And I think it's kind of like a cool thing to look at and kind of get this, uh, you know, whatever greater power that it's just like, it's all good. Everything's going to be good. Uh, and, and it's kind of cool to see that. And I, and I feel like at times numbers speak to me and that number that that's no coincidence to me. And it kind of overfeeds my faith. That is crazy. All those fours. That is really neat. neat. What were your immediate thoughts then when you found out that you were being released? Did you figure baseball was over, go into the business, or are you thinking maybe get picked up by somebody else? Uh, I knew I was done with it. I knew I knew I didn't want to do it anymore. Uh, I kind of had a foot out the door even before I got released, uh, just from the boredom. And then uh, the best way I've, I've heard it put is you use baseball your entire life to better yourself. And then when you get to professional baseball, the game starts using you to better itself. And so it wasn't even the game that I loved anymore. And that was a tough pill to swallow. Uh, So when I got released, of course I was bitter. Um, And uh, my, my knee jerk reaction was like, I don't ever need baseball 
to, to, to be able to be identified as, as a person, like though I've been around it for 20 years, I don't need it. Um, and that was my knee jerk reaction, bitter. I didn't want to play anymore. Didn't need the game to identify myself. Uh, and that kind of, uh, that kind of, that, that theme kind of stuck around for about a year, but it, eventually I, I kind of dropped that, dropped that thought process. Did an unpaid internship at an ad agency do anything for you? <laughs> it did a lot for me. Like in the moment you would have thought that like my life was exploding, but uh, it, so it, it is always so simple to connect the dots looking back. Um, but I, I saw something the other day that it resonates with me and that I love is that anytime you're in a dark place, you're actually being planted. Mm. Uh, and I, and I thought that was a great visual representation of what was going on in my life at that time. Uh, I did move, move over to St. Pete, had no money, uh, no, really no clue what I was doing, but I had this real itch to be creative. And, uh, I had an opportunity for an unpaid internship at, uh, uh an ad agency. And I was like, yep, this is, this is what I want to do. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to figure out how to get a, a job waiting tables. And I did it. And everything kind of fell apart at the same time. But then that's ultimately what became the springboard for, for dugout mugs. So gotcha. it's a, it's a blessing in disguise for sure. You eventually go back to Florida tech to be a pitching coach. Before we go into how the idea of dugout mugs came about, was that a satisfying position for you to be a pitching coach? In some ways. And then in some ways, not, um, it wasn't so, it, it, no, no not so black and white, uh, like some of the relationships that I developed with these kids that I still have today, uh, that, that they still check in with me or vice versa. Um, from, from the very beginning, uh, even when I was doing it to, to, to this day, that's a really, that's been a really satisfying aspect of, of being a coach, uh, essentially just kind of being a mentor, being, being an example for, for guys that are younger and that have dreams in the game of baseball. Um, but ultimately me not having control over a certain program or, uh, not being able to do things within my own vision of things really, really bothered me. Um, and, uh, in general, I love the camaraderie that comes along with baseball and I love the competitiveness that comes along with baseball. Never really loved like, lifting my leg and throwing a pitch as much as I love like the, the conversations that came from a clubhouse or like the, the rush that you get of like somebody coming into the box and it's like you versus him. So I didn't really, I, I didn't really get those things as a coach. There was no, there was no camaraderie with teammates. There's kind of camaraderie with coaches, but it's not the same. Mm -hmm. And then the competitive, the competitiveness of it, it's like eh, everybody kind of tries to play like the, you're my buddy card whenever you're at a certain level, because that person might get a job somewhere and then they can bring you along. It's hard to be competitive in a, like a professional environment versus like if you're a player and at the college level and like the guy across from you in the dugout, you, you want to hate them. You're like, all right, I'm going to beat this guy. But it was kind of like two like rubbing elbows on, on a coach's level to where I wanted to compete. And uh, I just couldn't replicate that feeling. So some ways, yes, some ways, no, I do. It was good and bad. I'm a former junior college basketball coach. You coached baseball. Do you look at any type of your coaching style that you use as a business owner today? Because sometimes I correlate the two a little bit. 
Yeah, there's there's some there's some correlations, but uh, I guess one thing that I have a hard time like uh, crossing them over is when I was coaching, I was a uh, like a 25 year old kid that I really didn't have a clue about anything. I feel like over the past seven years, uh, I've learned a tremendous amount about myself and about how to lead, how to manage, uh, how to treat people. Um, uh, just in general, there, there's an immense amount of growth. I've got, I went from sleeping in my sister's backyard on the floor to, to, uh, uh, owning and operating a, an eight figure company that, and there's, that, that just doesn't, that doesn't happen by accident. There's a whole lot of growth that has to happen mm-hmm. in order for that to happen. Uh, but I think about it now from the seat that I sit in, that if I wanted to get into coaching, I legitimately think that I could run the best organization in the country whether it's at the college level or the high school level. And a lot of it has to do with uh, my, my love for the game of baseball, but it also has a lot to do with uh, just the way that, uh, or what I've learned from, from dugout mug, running dugout mugs. Uh, I think, I think I could step in and it would translate a lot. Do you have any itch then to possibly coach or manage again? <laughs> uh, possibly it, uh, not college because I feel like it just eats away at your life. Um if you're going to do it, you got to, you, you'll have recruiting coordinators and stuff, but you got to go check on kids. You, mm-hmm. you got to, you, you got a three game set every weekend. Uh, it, it's just not a, it's not a schedule that I'm overly interested in living my life. Uh, like, but maybe at like a high school level, um, if I, if I ever hung it up at dugout mugs and I made enough money that I didn't, I didn't necessarily have to work, I would probably want to coach at like the local high school and just, just run the show. That'd be cool. That'd be cool. It would be fun. Yeah. <laughs> 2014, the idea happened while sitting in a dugout as a pitching coach as we talked for Florida Tech, watching the hitting and recruiting coach give a lesson. What was it that you saw that you went, wait a minute, I got an idea? Yeah, it was just a loose bat barrel. Um, it, it was um, it was a, just a loose bat barrel that um, he was cutting baseball bats in half with a, with a handsaw. And, um, yeah, a bunch of loose bat barrels and I just picked it up and just had a light bulb moment. And I said, I don't know if you know this or not, but there's a natural cupping to a, to a baseball bat, um, that they do for, I guess, uh, for whatever reason. And so, I mean, it's even called cupping. So I thought to myself, could you continue to just take that cupping down and turn it into a cool mug? And, uh, no, no real, it's just a light bulb moment. Just just saw it and, and thought about it. So you end up buying a miter saw from Lowe's and a wood burning kit from Michael's to make prototypes. What were those yeah. first prototypes like? So bad. <laughs> it, and I mean, even, even like I look back on the first year, two years of us, of what we were selling and what was like going out our doors and where we are now. Uh, it's ridiculous what, what we were selling before. Um, I mean, even on the prototyping side, of course it was a piece of crap, but like, uh, even the first two years of selling, uh, and I looked at, and I look at some things that I still have lying around in boxes. I'm like, I can't believe we even sold this. But I, I think that's some of the best advice that I would give to somebody that would want to pursue something is just, just get it out there and perfect it later. Um, and, uh, trying to perfect it now, just, it's just fear. It's a form of fear. Listeners, what you need to understand is you can go from the bottom to the top 
Randall, as he said, was living in his sister's converted garage apartment, no money, no job, not really being able to pay rent, has this idea, turns it into dugout mugs. Before it was dugout mugs, was it called Thompson Mug Company at first? Yeah, it was. Yeah, that's uh, the maybe the first year and a half or so. It was called Thompson Mug Company, yeah. And then, listeners, he takes this idea to over 70K in sales in 2016, over a million in 17, doubles it in 18, and then doubles that again in 2019 to this company. If you would, Randall, can you talk about how that growth just kind of exploded and how you kept up with so much demand? So like an overly simplified answer to that is uh, we took a relevant product and put it in front of relevant people at a a relevant cost on social media ads. Mm. Um, And then the beautiful thing about social media ads is they're, they can be throttled up and down with a a few clicks of of a button. So um, you can control your real dollars going out in real time. You can also control the, uh, the quantity of demand within reason uh, if it's if it's a product that somebody wants, or if if the market wants it, you, you can you can put it in front of them, and and the quantity will start to ramp up. And if that quantity gets gets too high and gets too wobbly, you can click a couple buttons, and the and the demand can go down on it. Uh, you can restructure what what observe what got wobbly, what went wrong, re- restructure all those things, and then ramp it back up. And the same thing. And every time you do that, it's a new high. But then you get to, but even your lows are, are a, a new high for the lows. Mm-hmm. And so you just keep doing that, keep doing that. And then once you find a formula that's that's working at scale, then you say, okay, throttle it uh, 20%. Throttle it 20% on top of that 20%. Keep, keep going, keep going, keep going. And then eventually you get this lift and kind of this hockey stick growth. And it's sustainable from a production side and it's sustainable from a... Uh, uh, customer acquisition costs. It's sustainable within all the, all the pillars within your business. And that's a very, <laughs> very large simplification of it, but that's uh, essentially the, the way we, that we've approached it. It makes sense. What is the process to making a mug from cutting it, sealing it and engraving it? There's three, three major processes, I guess that you could say uh, the, that make up our, our processes. One of the processes is done in Quebec City, Canada, and that's the that's the wood version of it. The turning, the boring, the sanding, that's sent down to a facility that's about a mile from us here, and they do the sealing, sand it, seal it, let it dry, then they drive it over to here, where we're at right now, and we have a, a bed of like twenty laser, laser engravers and then four UV printers. Uh, a fulfillment team and uh, all sorts of things going on here. We throw it on the laser, we engrave it, uh, inspect it for quality, uh, take it over to the fulfillment area. Fulfillment picks it from, from the bins that we have it in. They have a packing slip with different codes to know exactly what's within whatever order, put it in a box, tape it up, slap a shipping label on it. And then FedEx or USPS comes and picks it up from us. What type of wood are these mugs made out of? Birch, birch wood. Uh, and we've done some in ash. We've done some in maple, but uh, birch seems to be the, the best solution for the type of wood. And the, those are the three major types for, for baseball bats as well. How did you get licensing for products by MLB, National Baseball Hall of Fame, the Nolan Ryan Foundation, the Players Association? 
How did you get all that? A lot of, a lot of things that like, if, if there's something within dugout mugs that you see, whether it's on a social media side or a licensing side or promotion side, uh, if it glitters, it, it most likely has touched my business partner's hands. Uh, it, he's just, uh, he's a great deal maker. He's a, he's a great promo guy. He's a, a great, a great salesman. He's, uh, he just somehow makes so many different things work. Uh, and he does it in a way that it's a win-win for everybody. Um, and that's kind of his stroke of genius. And that's kind of the beauty of the, of the relationship between him and I is I love to create things that people have never seen before. And he loves just telling everybody about it. Um, and so the combination of those two things works, uh, you know, that's another, uh, thing that, that has contributed to that hockey stick growth is that dynamic between the two of us. Uh, he's a little more reckless than I am. I'm more conservative than than him. We meet somewhere in the middle and we, uh, knock on wood. We've made good decisions together. Individual player mugs. You have a signature series. I saw one online of Lou Pinella that was kind of cool, but what other players are available in this signature series? Oh man. Uh, so, uh, from a licensing side, uh, we did a signature series with like Mike Trout, um, Fernando Tatis, mm. um, uh, Otani, um, those are some good ones right there. Yeah. The, and then even on the retired side, uh, we, we do have Nolan Ryan stuff. Uh, I mean, one of the coolest things that we did, uh, I think like ever is we got reached out to by, uh, Stan Musial's daughter. And she had uh, five bats of his that she wanted to convert into mugs for wow. her for her family for Christmas last year, and we did that. Um, that's really that's, cool. Yeah, it's really neat. Talk about the Sandlot mug because that is super cool with the picture on there. Yeah, so by far the coolest like piece of something that I own from this whole experience is a. Uh, uh, we did a we did a mug that collaborated with David Mickey Evans, uh, who wrote, narrated, and directed the Sandlot. And uh, the last day of him filming, he took a photo of all the kids with the like the backstop and the backdrop. And uh, like when you think Sandlot, you probably think of this photo. But he took it on the last day of the of the shooting, and we took that photo, digitized it, and then put it around and engraved it around our mug. Uh, and then when, whenever you order that, you get like, we went and sat down and, and like, just kind of shot the shit with them. And we, we recorded it all. We filmed it all. We asked him about the movie. So he talks about the movie. You get four, four, like 20 minute segment talks with him. You get the mug. And then you also get a signed photo of this, of the sandline guys. But he also wrote a, uh, like a commercial script for us. And, uh, I printed out that commercial script and I had him sign it. And it's like, uh, probably it's, I mean, it's, I don't get too, too dorked out about, about certain things, but <laughs> it's hard. It's hard not to think that's really neat, at least to me. Folks, I'm going to have a link in the show notes to dugoutmugs.com. So you can go directly there and stock up on the mugs and other accessories. We're going to talk about in a second. Do you also still have the field of dreams mug? If you pour it, I will drink. Yeah, it might be sold out on the website right now, uh, just because we're trying to limit SKUs to kind of just keep us streamlined for the mm-hmm. holiday season. But yeah, um, we we do have that that as well. So 
that game. I don't know if you saw that game, but that game was magical. Oh, it was unbelievable. And I'm a, I'm a big yeah. White Sox fan, so it was unbelievable oh, for perfect. me. Yeah, it's yeah. perfect. Yeah, it's perfect for you. Yes. Is there a top minor league team that you guys get the most of? Probably the Durham, uh, Durham Bulls. Um, it, we don't sell online uh, with minor league baseball style stuff. And minor league baseball kind of blew up in 2020 COVID year. Uh, it wasn't. And it didn't really fully recover in this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so 2020 was kind of a dead year this year. And it's just, uh, it's kind of still a little weird, still lingering. Um, but before all that, the Durham Bulls was a, a team that we worked with the most. Do you guys do custom mugs for like weddings and stuff like that? Yeah, we do. Uh, we, we don't focus like a crazy amount of energy in, in making that happen. Uh, but quite naturally, uh, people come to us and, and, uh, and ask us to customize mugs. Sometimes they, they have their own logo for the, for the wedding and we, we, we can throw it on there, but yeah, yeah, we do. We do a lot of weddings. We did this one really crazy wedding, um, where they bought like, about like 400 Texas tech mugs. We don't do <laughs> collegiate licensing, but we went to, we went to Texas tech and said, Hey, uh, they're wanting to do this. And the guy sat, the guy was like a big time boosters there. So it was, it was no problem, but they, they, their whole bar was like uh baseball themed and it was all Texas tech stuff. So that was an extreme example, but for the most part, it's like five mugs with all the Grimsman's mm-hmm. names on it. And that's, that's typical what we see. You guys also have a shot glass in the shape of a handle of a bat, a bottle yeah. opener, and even a wine glass, which I thought was kind of odd you know, kind of like a beer company has a wine glass. Talk about those, those, uh, different products. Yeah. So, um, the, the dugout mug started it all, which is the barrel of a baseball bat converted into a drinking mug. Uh, and then came the, the wind up, uh, which is a mini baseball bat wine glass. Um, and then the, the knob shot, which is taking the knob of a baseball bat and turning it into a shot glass. And those are all original to us. Uh, we created all those, uh, and then the metal version. I don't think I have one on my on my desk, but uh, there's a uh, think of an aluminum baseball bat barrel, and then converted into a drinking mug. Holds 20 ounces. It, it kind of works as like a, a Yeti style, uh, much more travel friendly. And then uh, yeah, we have a couple of different versions of, of openers. One where we take the handle, turn it into an opener. And uh, then we took a baseball, cut it in half, and turn it into a baseball opener. Slick ideas. What's the next licensing idea for dugout mugs? I'm thinking old school baseball logos. Yeah, we do have the Cooperstown collection that we can tap into. Uh, We recently started using our UV printer to decorate the mugs rather than engrave them. And those have sold really, really well this holiday season. So we'll we'll probably dive into that and it, it would probably make a whole lot of sense to do uh, like old school Cooperstown uh, style logos printed on onto the mugs. I think there, that would probably be a good, good angle to take maybe, maybe collegiate at some point. Uh, but we'll see about that. I might complicate our business. Not sure though. <laughs> do you have any former MLB players on staff? <laughs> no, no, I don't. We, so the, I, I guess the closest thing we have is that uh, uh, Blaze, who does our who does our wholesale, his grandfather is Blaze or is uh, Roger Maris. Mm. Um, so that's uh, obviously 
not a not a big leaguer. He's not a big leaguer, but big league blood bloodline, so sure. to speak. Our marketing guy was a college baseball player. Um, but beyond that, uh, that's the only three that make up make up the company. And there's there's about seventy ish people that make this go around. I always envisioned that it was going to be just a baseball centric, baseball guys everywhere uh, type of company, but it just hasn't it hasn't uh, hasn't shook out that way. What is the atmosphere like at Dugout Mugs? It, it's kind of it's kind of strange in the sense of like we've we've uh, bred a culture where uh, everybody seems to get along really really well, um, and. Um, it kind of self polices if, if somebody doesn't really hold their weight around here, it kind of, uh, it quickly gets to whoever is the head of the department and they tell them to, and we tell, <laughs> tell them to get lost. Uh, it, it, you know, every, I think every business owner within a, with an interview style would want to say, man, our culture is just absolutely trash. Uh, <laughs> if, if it was, but I, uh, uh I'll, I'll speak candidly that like it hasn't always been great. Um, uh, it's taken, it's taken six years of just like uh, a lot of work, but it's uh, everybody we're finally in a place that it's humming and it's self-policing and, and uh, everybody, everybody, I mean, they, they threw a party here by themselves to watch some, some sort of fight. The uh, UFC fight that was not too long ago. Everybody wants to hang out with each other. So it's, it's working in some way. Yes, it is. <laughs> Did athletics teach you anything that you've used as an entrepreneur? Yeah. 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 And a lot, in a lot of different ways. Um, the, the way that I, that I think about it is, uh, working long is probably the, the biggest one. Um, when you're, when you're in college baseball, um, you're at least going six days a week and your, your days are probably like 12 or 13 hours, wake up and do weights, go to class, uh, early work, you know, practice, uh, homework, whatever assignments, whatever, whatever it is, your, your days are really long. You work a lot of days. Um, and that's ultimately, uh, what has to happen in entrepreneurship. There's a, there's a, a certain like front loaded, amount of work that you're going to have to do. What, what I was doing is I was working a full-time job and trying to get this off the ground. I had really long days on the front side of this to try to, and it's still today, there's still long days. Um, but if you're, if you're wanting to get into entrepreneurship on the front side of things, you're gonna to have to work long to, to make it happen. Tell our listeners what this statement, anything is possible means to you. Yeah. When I was uh, growing up, uh, it's something, something that I'd recite in my mind, um, that, uh, anything was possible, uh, specifically on a baseball field. What does it mean to you that dugout mugs was named to the Inc 5,000 fastest growing private companies and you were at 719? 719, yeah. Number 30 in manufacturing. So, uh, pretty proud of it. You know, it's, um, it's, uh, it's good to get a pat on the back and get recognition. Um, but it, it feels very much like I'm still like in the middle. It's almost like we're playing a game in the eighth inning. They said, Hey, just so everybody knows, uh, Randall's got a one hitter going 
and, and to me, like, it's cool. Uh, but one, you probably just jinxed me. And two, <laughs> let's just continue to play here and let's get it through a, a full nine before we announce the, you know, the, the accolades of the stats. But yeah, I mean, I mean it's nice. That's one thing that I'm trying to work on is uh, enjoying it, enjoy the process as I'm, as I'm going. I don't step outside of it long enough to really look at it and enjoy it. Uh, and I probably need to get myself away from that baseball analogy. And, um, but yeah, it's cool. It, it, it's uh, something I should be proud of for sure. Are you still a big fan of magic? And if so, where did this love of magic come from? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do. Love, I love magic over Thanksgiving. My, uh, my nephew was, uh, I, I sent him a, a magic kit, um, a couple of weeks ago. And then he was showing me what, what he learned. Uh, and I was just messing around with the magic kit as well. I, I have no idea. It, 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 I guess I tell people all the time that I had two unexplainable loves baseball and, uh, being creative. Um, so maybe I just need to throw a third in there and say magic is the third. There was, there was something, uh, on Thanksgiving day that played on like NBC or ABC that was supposed to be like this magic thing that they were advertising hard and, uh, bugged my wife into like, uh, tuning into it. And it was, it ended up being pretty bad, but <laughs> either way, uh, I don't know. I love magic. It's, it's just enticing. It's interesting. It's, uh, I don't know something about it that I love. I would say that you've taken your creative side and your love of baseball created magic with dugout mugs. That's what I would say. <laughs> there you go. I'm going to steal that. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Randall, man, thanks for taking time and being on before the lights. This has been fun rapping with you. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Folks, if you would, please join the member area. Go to beforethelightspod.com slash support. That's beforethelightspod.com slash support. There's five more minutes of the interview coming up called The Extra Five that you can get in the members area. And follow me on Instagram at Before the Lights Podcast. Thank you for listening to Before the Lights. I'm Tommy Canale. And until next time, everyone, I salute a chin-chin.
Merry Christmas, everyone.